Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Huddle Podcast Home Office. I'm Mark Legier, the editor of Huddle. And I'm Trevor Nichols, a reporter with Huddle in Halifax. Well, hello again, Trevor. It's nice to have you back again so soon. You were with us on the last episode. That's right, Mark. I'm uh, I'm instituting a Halifax takeover of this podcast. It's going to be all Halifax all the all the time before you know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a good reason for us to uh, talk about uh, Halifax and, and Nova Scotia this week. Um and, and New Brunswick as well. Uh, you know, we, I know Trevor, you know, in story meetings over the last, you know, few weeks, we've obviously talked a lot about the fact that, uh, you know, New Brunswick is opening up faster than, than uh, Nova Scotia. And, you know, and in fact, I've come to call it the, uh, the tale of two provinces. Yeah, it seems very apt. Uh, when I sit and I listen to our premier and our, our chief medical officer of health talk, it's very much a tale of slow and steady. We don't want to rush things. We want to be safe. And then I look over at New Brunswick and you guys are basically partying in the streets as far as I can tell. <laughs> not, not, not quite yet, but we're, we're definitely getting there. <laughs> um, so, you know, and there's good reason, you know, there's good reason for that. You know, the situation in PEI and, 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 Nova, and Nova Scotia and New Brunswick has been very different. And, you know, in terms of the, the caseloads and, and, and the deaths and, um, you know, we did see New Brunswick uh, start to open up further last week with another new phase. Um, you know, but what's the mood like in Halifax right now and in Nova Scotia? Because you're you're obviously not quite there yet. Yeah, and, and like I said, the our officials are all cautioning. You know, we have to be slow and steady. We have to be safe. We want to do this right. But I, I know that uh, among residents and and especially our business community, there's a there's an itch here. People people want to start getting back to a little bit of normal. And I think it's it's amplified by the fact that our neighboring provinces all seem to be doing that much faster than us. I think we all recognize that the situation is different in Nova Scotia, but nevertheless, um, people are eager to, to getting back to start getting back to some kind of normal. Right. And, and, you know, as we had those conversations in our meetings and, and, you know, through our, our reporting it, you know, it got, it got me to thinking like, is there one person out there who knows, you know, both provinces well, um, you know, is, 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 you know, bold in his thinking and, uh, and can kind of put in context, you know, the difference between the two provinces right now and, you know, and where Nova Scotia can go from here. And that conversation uh, inevitably leads to Don Mills, uh, the, uh, you know, the former owner of Corporate Research uh, Associates. He's a longtime pollster, um, you know, but not, not just not just a, a pollster, Trevor, also a, a great analyst um, and, you know, thought leader for lack of a better letter, better phrase. Um, and so we wanted to reach out for to Don for for his thoughts on things on where New Brunswick sits, uh, where Nova Scotia sits and, you know, how quickly uh, Nova Scotia should be moving to kind of, you know, keep pace with what's happening in PEI and New Brunswick and uh as you can imagine, Don thinks uh, we should be moving quicker. <laughs> yeah, I'll be really interested to listen to what Don has to say about this. He does have, like like you say, he's grounded in both provinces. Um, he has strong opinions and there are opinions that, you know, he can sort of back up with a with a wealth of knowledge. So I'll be I'll be really interested to get Don's take on on what's happening in Nova Scotia versus New Brunswick. Yeah, and he, and he has been obviously, you know, active, uh, you know, since he since he sold uh, Corporate Research Associates and it's now uh you know, narrative uh, research, uh, he has been still kind of out there and active. He, you know, he's very, uh, expresses himself a lot through social media, uh, like Twitter. Uh, he also has regular columns in Saltwire uh, news outlets in Nova Scotia, but also through Brunswick News uh, newspapers in New Brunswick. So he certainly, you know, still has that platform and he's still actively engaged. And uh, so he and I had uh, sat down and, and had a conversation on where things not stand, not just for Nova Scotia, but also New Brunswick, because obviously New Brunswick's, you know, starting to come out of this, but coming out of this essentially still facing, you know, a big set of problems around demographics and, and rebuilding the economy uh, here in coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, let's get to that conversation, Trevor. Yeah, I can't wait. Hi, Don. How are you doing? Mark, I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. It's so good to talk to you. Nice to talk to you as well. Yeah. So where are you this morning? 
Uh, I'm in self-isolation in, um, in a property we have down on the South Shore and um, uh, on a place called Marvin's Island in uh, Chester Basin. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. you're on the water. Yeah, it makes it a little easier to uh, accept uh, the isolation, actually. I'm uh, I'm sitting here uh, right now on on the Bay of Fundy as well, so I'm um, I'm looking out at uh, looking out at the bay. Uh, I'm sometimes I wish I was in self isolation, Don, because I have I have two. I have a nine year old and eleven year old here, so we're we're getting <laughs> through it okay. But sometimes I I wish for self isolation. Yeah, well, that's a bigger challenge than I have for sure. Right. Um, what's the weather like there this morning? It's nice. It's a beautiful day, but uh, I don't know about you, but we've been getting a tremendous amount of wind over the last month or so. It's just been uh, unusually windy and, um, and and quite gusty. You know, I think it's gusting up to probably 50 or 60 Ks right, uh, right now. So, yeah, it's, it makes it cooler than it would otherwise be. Yeah, no, it's been it's been much the same here. My uh, my son is quite upset because his uh, the the gusting winds destroyed his uh, the baseball net, the net that we hit balls into uh, in the front yard. So that's the yeah. issue that we're dealing with this morning. Yeah, yeah, it's really been incredibly windy. So have you been down? Have you been down there for? Because you 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 live in Halifax most of the year, don't you? Yes. Yeah, we uh, normally live in Halifax, but uh, we live in a, a condominium building and. Uh, we actually felt safer being uh, on our own. Um, and so we moved down here in the middle of March and then we've been here uh, almost uh, constantly uh, since then. We've had to go in the city a couple of times for things, but uh, 99% of the time, this is where we are. It, it, is it nice to, to, on some level, to spend some, to spend some time outside the city? Well, you know, uh, when the weather is decent, it's really nice. I mean, you know, we live in a very uh, quiet uh, place uh, down the South Shore. I mean, um, there are few permanent uh, residents on the island. It's an island that's connected by a causeway. And there's probably only about a half a dozen properties that have permanent people in it. So it's very, very quiet. And, of course, it's like a park. So we we can be outside and walk uh, and really not see anybody. So it's very safe that way. And uh, very calming, actually, as you know, to be near the water in general. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's not a hardship. The only hardship is not to be able to do kind of what you want to do when you want to do it. That's the, you know, that's the thing that's starting to get to me, actually, after how many weeks has it been? I don't know, eight weeks or something like that. It's starting to get to me. Yeah, no, it's the same thing on this end, too, even though obviously... um... You know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you this morning, things are, are you know, changing more rapidly in New Brunswick than, than they are in, in Nova Scotia, for sure. But we're still feeling that, that same sense of, uh, you know, isolation and, and just yeah. disruption of routines and just not being able to get out and see who you want to see and do what you want to do. Well, it's particularly hard uh, for us. We have a really uh, close family. There, there are, in our family, there are about 50 members of our family in the Halifax area. And uh, we, you know, we spend a lot of time with our family. We have, especially our, our kids and their, their kids. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the hardship for us. Uh, you know, um, we can see them at distance, but, you know, you, you can't have any physical contact with them. And, uh, you know, that's the thing that's uh, bothering both my wife and myself right now the most. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. We, we've started to open up a little bit where my mother, uh, you know, is coming in and having, you know, dinners with us and, uh, and my mm-hmm. mother-in-law uh, is coming in as well. And, and, uh, but we're still keeping that distance. And, and it's, um, it's actually <laughs> my poor son. He's a, he's a hugger, Don. He loves to hug people. It includes strangers. It includes, uh, you know, his, his closest, his loved ones. And to not be able to hug his, uh, his grandmother um is is killing him because he's just he's such an affectionate boy and uh, so he does these pretend hugs with his with his with his grandparents it's quite cute yeah well you know what we're a family of huggers too so it's uh that is a bit uh tough my um my granddaughter uh turned four yesterday and um you know uh not to be able to hug her on her birthday was uh yeah it was hard now, in a case like that, are you are you actually physically able to see her, or is this are you seeing her by a Zoom meeting, or how's that working? 
Well, uh, you know, we stopped in to see them with physical distancing. I guess we're breaking the rules on that side, but, you know, we're maintaining separation and uh, so that we can um, talk and uh, see each other, but, you know, no contact, obviously physical contact. But you know, we dropped in yesterday to drop off some presents to my granddaughter and, uh, you know, to see her, obviously. And uh, we were probably there about 20 minutes, but, you know, it was uh, seems really artificial. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sure you can be forgiven for wanting to be see your, your granddaughter on her fourth birthday. <laughs> exactly. So I'm probably going to go to jail now. <laughs> So, Don, what's the mood like in, in, in Nova Scotia, you know, both where you are, you know, down, down in the Chester area, but also, you know, in, in Halifax and, and with the business community generally? Uh, I think the mood is uh, anxious um, in general. It's anxious about uh, the disease. It's anxious about uh, the economy. Um, I think uh, businesses are, are getting uh, increasingly frustrated with the lack of uh, a public plan and timetable to start to reopen uh, the economy. You're seeing much, much more of that on social media for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a numbers guy. Um, if you look at kind of the trajectory of uh, cases across the province, it's very uneven. Um, outside of Halifax, there have been very few new cases for the last month and probably only a handful of active cases. Uh, and, and those numbers are hard to come by because uh, uh, Dr. Strang is not, uh, not releasing those numbers because he doesn't want people to relax too soon, I guess. Um, <clears throat> most, of the, uh, most of the cases have been uh, confined to Halifax. So I think there's a, a little over 1,000 confirmed cases in the province and 900, almost 900 are in Halifax, to give you some perspective. So... Um, you know, it's really uh, has been really concentrated in Halifax. But even in Halifax, the vast majority of the current cases are uh, connected with Northwood Manor, the long-term care facility in Halifax that has suffered, you know, grievously uh, from the pandemic. Um, they have uh, over 40 deaths in that one facility. And there have only been, uh, I believe, five or six deaths outside of long-term care in, uh, in Nova Scotia, so you, can, so you can see that we have a problem with long-term care for sure. Uh, as of yesterday, there were, I believe, 23 uh, active cases outside of, long, uh, of Northwood Manor. So those are pretty small numbers. And uh, if you look at what the um, Center for Disease Control in the States have been advocating to, uh, before reopening uh, economies, is to have 14 days of declining uh, number of cases and, 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 and really to have very few active cases. Uh, I don't know if they've come up with a number uh, a target, but it's not zero. It's not, it's not to get to zero. In New Brunswick, uh, you know, you got to zero. I think there may have one or two active cases today, but, you know, very small number. And, and you've, had, you've met all the criteria to be able to open the uh, economy in New Brunswick, and you're starting to do that. Uh, Nova Scotia is not really that far behind uh, New Brunswick, given what's going on. And, and the, you know, the case could be made, I think, uh, Mark, that uh, there are some things that could be reopened, at least outside of Halifax, uh, that would help uh, to recover the economy. And I think the sense among a lot of business people in particular is that, you know, we've done a pretty good job saving people's lives and uh, in dealing with the pandemic. Uh, now it's time to switch attention to saving the economy. And, you know, there are a lot of businesses that uh, in jeopardy. And the longer this goes on, uh, the more that will be in jeopardy. And, you know, that will lead to economic, uh, significant economic pain uh, going ahead for many small businesses uh, in this region and in, in, in Nova Scotia in particular. So, Don, um, you know, about a, about a week before uh, New Brunswick started to open up and, and announced that that phased plan, um, David Alston and, and Marcel Lebrun, uh, tech entrepreneurs here in New Brunswick, had written a couple of pieces for Huddle, kind of trying to start that conversation here. They, they've been hearing some, you know, frustrations in the business community. They'd had their own frustrations you know, as business leaders and community leaders, um, certainly understanding why we needed to be cautious uh, as we, you know, found our way out of this, um, you know, into a recovery. Uh, but, but at the same time, 
you know, wanting to see things open up as the numbers started to tell us a story that that could happen. And, uh, and, you know, I had the, those guys on an earlier podcast here and we, we chatted about that and, you know, not a week later, uh, and those pieces were enormously well received in, in New Brunswick. And we realized that there was an untapped conversation in New Brunswick because really there hadn't been at that point, a lot of conversation about opening up. Suddenly a week later, the, you know, the, the provincial government here was announcing the phased recovery, uh, that's now underway here in New Brunswick. Um, are, are you, is, is that conversation happening in, in, in Nova Scotia? And I know you've been very active in terms of, you know, your writings uh, and also in terms of your activity on Twitter. And I know you've been pushing, you know, this conversation there. Where is that conversation? Uh, well, it's uh, increasing every day, uh, Mark. Uh, if you just, uh, if you were following my Twitter feed, for instance, in the last uh, several days, there have been hundreds of people responding to the uh, things that uh, I've been putting out there. And, uh, you know, there is a, there is a conversation that is, uh, that is urgent to happen, I think, among people. They haven't had the opportunity to do that. And you're just, you know, not everybody's in agreement, by the way, with, uh, with the things that I'm suggesting. But uh, none, nonetheless, it's creating a conversation. I think that's important. You know, the public really hasn't really been heard or the business community has been heard well enough in terms of their concerns and issues going forward. So, you know, those conversations, I think, are, are um, getting louder and, uh, and, 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 and mostly a respectful manner. It's not, you know, by the way, it's not being critical of anything the government has done up to this point, because the government, I think, right, right across the region has done a really quite an outstanding job of flattening the curve. But it's in, disingenuous to say that the curve hasn't been hasn't been flattened and controlled. It has, you know, the numbers speak for themselves, and people are starting to see that. And uh, now they're, they're you know they're trying to figure out you know what's next for them. And you know if you don't have a, 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 a sort of a, a plan to go ahead, you know that all that does is create uncertainty. You know, uh, if the government were to come out uh, tomorrow and say, "Listen, we have a plan, but it's not starting until June the fifteenth." Well, people might not be happy about that delay, but they at least they'd have a date to look forward to beginning, you know, opening up the economy. The, the, the uncertainty, and I know this from my life as a market researcher over a long period of time, and certainly actually actually causes more problems than clarity of, of, of what the proposed uh, plan might be. So, uh, you know, I think everybody uh, agrees that we have to be cautious and we don't want to open up too soon. But again, you know, it's supposed to be driven by data. And the data would suggest that there are parts of Nova Scotia that are, are in a position to start opening up some services in local economies. And, uh, you know, yesterday I put out a, a, a few examples of that. So um, one example is electric, electric, uh, elective surgeries. You know, the hospitals have actually done you know, uh, have been partially closed down since the pandemic, right? Uh, it's been all focused on the pandemic. Uh, visits to emergency rooms are down somewhere between 30 and 50%. There are no clinics happening in the hospitals. There are no elective surgeries going on. And those, those pile up every day. They get, you know, it, it gets worse and worse every day. So, does it not make sense in a place like Nova Scotia? You know, if you don't want to open it up in Halifax, fine. But there are hospitals doing surgeries outside of Halifax, every, you know, under normal circumstances every day. Why not open up electric surgeries in those communities? And, you know, that doesn't mean people are traveling from Halifax for those surgeries. It's people in those local communities that are going to be served and served earlier. And if the if hospitals aren't being used for COVID, and there are nine cases in the hospital right now in Nova Scotia, nine, four in C ICU based on yesterday, it's not a it's not a big you know it's not a big pressure on the current hospital system. You know the resources are, you know, are are there to certainly do uh, kind of what uh, um, what needs to be done in terms of serving other other people. So, uh, you know, I think that that's, uh, that's something that we could do almost right away and, uh, and open up that. There, there are other services like uh, uh, dental, dental service, uh, services, for instance. Those could be opened up right across the province right now. You know, there are virtually no active cases right now. 
and there haven't been for some time. Like, you know, where I am right now in the western part of uh, Nova Scotia, the number of cases have not changed in four weeks. You know, it's the same number four, as it was four weeks ago, which means there's, there's likely, and we don't, nobody's been able to tell us that, there's no active cases in this part of the province. So, you know, um, you know hospitals like Yarmouth and Kentville, uh, you know, uh, which serve, you know, pretty big population bases, they can reopen regular services. You know, how about massage services? Uh, you know, how about getting a haircut? You know, uh, there are services that could, you know, be open right now very safely with the right protocols, which is being done in all other jurisdictions in the world, uh, to start to get our economy uh, going a little bit again. And then, you know, Halifax is not that far behind the rest of the province, as I said, because, uh, you know, there's only about 20 cases or so in, in, in Halifax outside long-term uh, care facilities. That number is going down every day. There are more recoveries every day than there are new cases. And that's been the case for two weeks. And so that's the right trajectory. That's the CDC uh, recommendation. So, you know, even Halifax is getting close to where it needs to be to kind of reopen. But why do we have to wait to reopen some services in other parts of the provinces uh, until Halifax catches up with the rest of the province? I'm, I, I, you know, I don't get, I don't get that. And, and and does the does the does the does the premier or or Dr. Strang recognize that? Like, has that been discussed publicly? Well, you know, I heard the premier say yesterday that he's starting to it's starting to make sense to him that you know may be able to open some things uh, in other parts of the province. Well, I think what Dr. Strang is worried about is that people will uh, you know travel from Halifax to other parts of the province and and bring uh, the virus with them. You know, uh, ironically, there are people coming from other all over the Nova Scotia to Halifax virtually every day to shop. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, it's already happening. Um, and, and, and guess what, you know, uh, if you look at what has been open since the pandemic, Mark, um, at least in this province, you know, you have things like, uh, grocery stores, liquor stores, hardware stores, uh, the Costco's, right. They've been open for business and have not stopped. And they figured out a way to, uh, operate safely. And, and really, there's been no evidence, none, of community spread uh, in Halifax because of those activities, uh, let alone uh, across the rest of the province. So that is a very meaningful uh, data point for people to think about. And, you know, if uh, Dr. Strang is uh, uh, afraid people are going to travel from Halifax to Kentville for a haircut, you know, I don't think there are very many people who are going to do that. There may be a few, but like, I, I think it's going to be very low incidence. And if you pick the services that are more local, you know, that don't draw, you know, you know, um, market from somewhere else. I think there are lots of businesses that could could be uh, starting to be uh, reopened outside of the uh, central zone in, in Nova Scotia. And, and I know this is probably something that's, you know, very much on on your mind, but probably other business leaders as well, like the, you know, the the Halifax economy and, and the province generally, you know, there was a, a lot of growth and progress. And, you know, I spoke to one, you know, Dartmouth um, restaurant owner who, who talked about how, you know, vibrant the, you know, the downtown scenes were on the Halifax side and the Dartmouth side and, you know, the explosion and the restaurant culture and the activity downtown that, he, you know, a lingering concern that the longer this goes on, you know, could, could jeopardize a lot of growth and progress that happened there. You know, well, you know, we're lucky that the, you know, the federal government's come with a pretty good financial support package for most businesses. Um, uh, but, you know, unless they're prepared to do that for several more months, uh, there are going to be casualties already uh, from where we are. Uh, for certain, uh, you know, I actually owned a restaurant as, as part of a group. Uh, I know how thin the margins are. Um, I know the fact that you know they don't have uh, they don't have the financial resources to even go much more than a month or so without business. You know uh, there are going to be a lot of casualties in the hospitality industry, and that, and if you add on top of that, uh, you know a very you know bad sort of situation for the tourism industry across uh, the country and in this region. You know that's just going to make it doubly hard because a lot of those businesses make their 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 money in the high season, the high tourism season. So there are going to be many every day, every, every day longer that it takes to reopen those businesses. 
there'll be more and more people who will not be able to reopen, which means that it's going to take some time to bring the economy back to, you know, where it was before. And let's be honest, in Atlantic Canada, our economies, generally speaking, have been weaker than the rest of the country for decades. You know, so get back to this, you know, the weak position that we were in. You know, New Brunswick is a good good example. The, the, the economy in New Brunswick has been weak, was weak before the, the pan- pandemic. It's going to be weaker after it. Same, the same situation, basically, I think, across the country. But even in good markets like Halifax, which, uh, to your point, was doing extremely well on the up uh, on the on the uh, uprise in terms of uh, growth and in in population and and you know the dynamic uh, downtown uh, that we have, it's going to take a long time to recover from that because. It's not just opening the business. It's having people having the confidence that it's safe to go out to those businesses. That, that confidence is going to take a long time to recover. It may actually take until there's a vaccine. So even if businesses open, they're going to be at a much lower level than they were before the pandemic. And, and, and some businesses won't be able to survive on the, on the lower volume. So there will be ongoing consequences to, uh, to the virus economically for many, many businesses. So I think the number in Nova Scotia is that there are 30,000 people, roughly speaking, who work in the uh, restaurant and bar industry, 30,000. I, I, I think we're going to see a significant fewer number working in that industry for the foreseeable future. I don't know how many, but it's going to be significant. A quarter less, a third less, very possibly, because people uh, just won't be able to survive even the reopening of the economy because people, you know, the market demand will be less for the foreseeable future. Now, I know, because I mean, it's interesting to talk to you, to you, to you about this um, in the sense that, you know, I'm sitting here in in, in St. John, New Brunswick, and, you know, and certainly very well connected to Halifax, particularly through our our reporters there and we, you know, we talk every day, but, you know, we have had this conversation on a daily basis now here um, with them about this kind of tale of almost tale of two provinces situation. And, um, you know, even here sitting here in New Brunswick right now, there's this, you know, this feeling like things could, could open up, you know, with PEI this summer and even if, you know, New Brunswickers and, and, uh, and Islanders can't go to Nova Scotia and, and, did at least, you know, we might be able to, you know, travel to PEI or have Islanders travel here to New Brunswick and open that kind of, that kind of tourism economy. Um, or, but I'm getting the sense from talking to you that you feel like, you know, Nova Scotia is closer to us than we realize in terms of, you know, getting a handle on this problem and that there, there might even be the opportunity for, you know, a, you know, a maritime, a maritime economy and an opening between the maritime provinces. Well, I think we need to start having that conversation, Mark. I mean, uh, you know, it's pretty evident to me that, you know, outside of long-term care, and by the way, those people are not traveling, right? They're not, they're not leaving the facility that they're in um, the, to go to PEI or, or New Brunswick. You know, we have about 20 cases right now. In another 10 days, that will be down to kind of where PEI and New Brunswick is, uh, roughly, unless something, you know, bad happens. Uh, so, you know, uh, there was no no possibility of the province opening up before June, and uh, you know that's uh, you know that's two weeks away. <clears throat> so we're on the right trajectory to be in the same situation, I believe, as PEI and New Brunswick. Even the cases in uh, long term care will be resolved by that point. And unfortunately, there's likely to be more deaths in long term care because of the vulnerability of the population. But, you know, there will be people who have recovered as well. So the numbers will be uh, in the same range as uh, PEI in New Brunswick. Now, I just want to make this point for people living in New Brunswick and PEI. You know, your biggest tourism market is Nova Scotia. You know, and and, uh, uh, you need to reflect on that fact. And I don't see any reason, frankly, that we shouldn't start at least having the conversation of having a regional uh, market that's open to everybody. That would be that would benefit everyone in this region, you know, because uh, you can do as much stay vacation advertising as you want. But people want to do different things on their vacation. And if you can uh, make them feel safe that it's okay to go to PEI or Nova Scotia or vice versa, that's going to help the tourism business. So Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia, just as an example, 
and I've done a lot of research in this area. The numbers may be a little off, but uh, I believe that, you know, 50%, 50% of the tourist visits to Nova Scotia comes from other parts of the region every year. I, I'm assuming the numbers are similar for PEI and, and New Brunswick. Well, you know, that means that the industry could be at least half as good as it was last year. But if you don't have access to the biggest province in the region, the numbers for tourism are going to be dismal. They're going to be very, very bad, even if people stay home and, and, and do something in the province. They're, they don't spend the same way in their own province as they do when they go to another province. That is a fact. You know, so uh, if, if we can't open it until July 1st, that's fine. But like, let, let's have the conversation. You know, let's have the conversation. And, and I think that we are certainly, if everything continues on the current tra trajectory, we will be in a situation where that is very possible. And that will make people feel better, frankly. You know, and, uh, you know, the, the goal was never to get the zero and no virus, right? That's not the goal. The goal was to get it under control so that we could manage it until we get a vaccine. So the virus is still going to be out there. I mean, if people think that by keeping it closed down for another, I don't know, two months, the, the threat has gone away, that is not the case. The virus is there and will be there until a vaccine comes. And we just need to figure out a way to manage it as safely as possible. And uh, I think that we have that opportunity. So, Don, on, on the conversation of, you know, starting the conversation, um, where, where is Nova Scotia in terms of its planning? Because I understand the sort of rudiments of a plan came out a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> That's right. Uh, there's, uh, there's been discussions with various groups. There's uh, one group led by the Halifax Chamber of Commerce, which uh, includes um, the Nova Scotia Federation of Labor, nonprofits, and uh, you know, I forget how many organizations, but uh, a, a good representation of um, these kinds of private sector, uh, not-for-profits, and uh, labor uh, groups across the province who have been um, uh, the, the sort of uh, single uh, point of contact to uh, try to work uh, with Dr. Strang, I think, to uh, provide input to what the plan would be. And as I understand it, they had a, a presentation about an outline of the plan. I've only seen parts of it. So, you know, my comments are based on what I've seen. The big concern that people had is that <clears throat> Dr. Strain uh, wanted to have uh, a period of 28 days between each of the phases. So two 14-day periods, basically, to ensure that uh, there is no bad repercussions of each phase. So, you know, they opened up the, the parks um, a couple weeks ago now national uh, the provincial parks and uh you know as a kind of an early step to get people outdoors and getting some exercise <clears throat> and as i understand it you know he's not prepared to do anything else until 28 days uh and uh you know at that rate it, it would take months to get anywhere back to uh, uh opening up the economy and it's just too long and i think that that's the feeling that a lot of the people in the business community are, uh, are feeling as well. <clears throat> so, you know, we already, uh, uh, you know, we know the incubation period is about two weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, being super cautious is one thing, but, you know, you could kill the economy by being too cautious. And at some point, uh, we're going to have to, you know, try to uh, get our economy going a little earlier. Other, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to have severe consequences. It's still going to be a long, long time to get back to what our normal was, which was, as I mentioned, weak relative to the rest of the country in terms of economic performance. So I think that that's uh, that's the kind of thing that uh, has people concerned. And you know, they want they you know they want first of all they want the plan to be uh, articulated. They want a they want a reasonable timetable for each of the phases. They you know they understand that we might have to go backwards if things don't work out. I think everybody gets that. But you know, as I mentioned also earlier, you know. We're not eliminating the virus. The virus is going to be there. It's a matter of managing it under, you know, our best control. Make sure that, you know, the most vulnerable in our population are continue to be protected until there's a, a vaccine, uh, which really means focus on long-term care facilities, obviously, because uh, we've not done a great job in that area in this province. 
and then and then hopefully uh, you know we can adapt to new uh, protocols and measures to keep people uh, safe when they when they get out and start doing things. And as I also mentioned, you know we've already proven the fact that people can get out and do things like going to hardware stores, you know the big box stores. Costco's and without any community spread. So, you know, we've proven the ability to manage in a new normal in terms of protocols. So using that as a, as a model to, to go ahead, I think we can start opening up other businesses earlier uh, than, um, than seems to be the case right now. So first thing, let's get the plan out um, with the timetable. Let's, uh, you know, let's understand what we're, what the expectations are. And then hopefully after that, you know, people can adapt to that plan in a reasonable way. As long as it's reasonable, I think people will, will accept it, as I mentioned. You know, whether, the, you know, the first steps start the 1st of June or whatever, you know, we need to have some guidance about when things are going to happen. I think people are prepared to be patient, but if they don't know those dates, you know, you're already seeing. I was into the city yesterday, as I mentioned earlier. I drop off a present to my granddaughter. You can already see that people are moving around a lot more, a lot more traffic than the week before, a lot more. And, uh, you know, that will continue to build because people will stop um, stop uh, living by the guidelines because there's, there's, there's no plan that they can, they can relate to. So that, I think it's really important for the government in the next few days to, to articulate what the plan is and what the timetable is. And then people can decide whether it's reasonable or not. Is there any feeling over, you know, in Halifax, uh, you know, and in the rest of Nova Scotia that that you can't fall behind New Brunswick and PEI in terms of restarting things? Is that a concern at all or are people mostly focused locally? No, I don't think there's any concern that, you know, you know, I think that uh, PEI and New Brunswick are ahead of Nova Scotia, clearly, in terms of where they are. Uh, that's, uh, I don't think anybody's looking at that as the, as, uh, as the measure of what we should be doing here. I think it's based on what the trajectory of the uh, virus is in this province. And everybody can see what's happening. Everybody can see what's happening. And the numbers, even though they're reluctant to share it by zone in the, in the province, people living within those zones understand that there's virtually no uh, spread of the uh, virus outside of Halifax and it has been for weeks. So, you know, uh, those circumstances allow us to at least consider opening up uh, uh, part of the economy um, in those uh, those regions outside the central zone. So, no, it's a it's a local it's a it's a provincial um, uh, sort of uh, focus that people have. And, uh, you know, there's just as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of anxiety. You know, people are very anxious about the virus for sure. People are doing a lot to protect themselves for sure. Um, but, you know, you can only be in isolation so long before you start to be willing to take some risk. I mean, that's only natural. I mean, you cannot, it's like, uh, it's like going to jail to some extent. I mean, nicer than jail for sure. But like, you know, uh, you know, my wife and I are very lucky to be where we are, but, you know, uh, I have a, a daughter with three young kids under 10 years old. You know, uh, that's a very different circumstance. You know, there are people living in small accommodations without any room to move around. They can't even get outside. They don't have a backyard. I mean, there are very difficult circumstances for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, they're at some point they're going to they're going to they're going to revolt and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not taking it anymore. I'm going to start to move. So government is real. It's really important for government to outline kind of directionally what's going to happen so people can you know get behind them. Are you are you now with New Brunswick? It it all happened very fast, right? The, the New Brunswick government came out with, you know, a draft plan and worked from there. Yeah. Are you confident that you might be close in Nova Scotia to that situation? I I hope so. Uh, there's a there's growing pressure. There's a lot of growing pressure on government to come, uh, you know, to present their plan. And <clears throat> as long as it's reasonable, if it's different. If it's significantly different than what's going on in our neighbor, uh, neighboring provinces of PEI and New Brunswick, for instance, if it's much slower, as I mentioned, you know, having 28 days between each phase, I, I think there's going to be there's going to be, you know, uh, resistance to that. You know, so in that way, the, you know, the neighboring provinces pro- provide some guideline and they're they're in both New Brunswick and PEI. They're there earlier so we can see the outcome of their decisions and, and learn from those outcomes. You see what I mean? 
And so if, if the guidelines for reopening are significantly different in Nova Scotia, you know, and, and when Nova Scotia reaches the same point that New Brunswick and PEI were in terms of opening up the economy, I think people are not going to accept that. I think that they, they will they will be questioning the wisdom of the decision. And, and as I said, I think the government's done a terrific job up to this point. Um, you know, they're being super cautious. But at some point, we have to think about, turn our attention to saving the economy because it's going to take a while, a long while, frankly, to get back to where we were before the pandemic hit. And, uh, you know, there's going to be economic pain, significant economic pain in this region, which is, you know, uh, relatively to, speaking to the rest of the country, much weaker in terms of economic performance on the best days. Uh, so, you know, we're going to see this for, I, I think, uh, several years before we get back to where we are, you know, uh, in January. I'd like to, to end our chat, uh, Don, with your, your thoughts on, okay, so, you know, New Brunswick is back towards reopening. Um, you know, we're hoping that Nova Scotia is, you know, close to doing the same. Um, but then there's, there's the look ahead, you know, what, what, yeah. what we're going to be obviously facing the same demographic challenges, the same rural urban, um, problems, um, uh, the same labor force issues. Um, and I know you've reflected a little bit of, of, you know, what, what, what does this mean for the New Brunswick and Nova Scotia economies going forward? Um, what do you see as the the things that we're going to learn from this? Um, the challenges, the ways in which you know we can we can possibly you know grow and become stronger coming out of this. Well, <clears throat> you know I've been talking about this these issues for more than a decade. You know the uh, stru- there are structural problems that we have in Atlantic Canada that are different than uh, elsewhere in the country. We have a disproportionate number of people living in smaller rural communities across the region. Um, uh, uh, you know, almost twice as many proportionate living in, uh, in rural communities, many of whom do not have, <clears throat> pardon me, the economic basis to provide full-time employment to those people. We've had, uh, up until very recently, we've had uh, population stagnation uh, that has uh, crippled uh, economic growth. You know, the country grows, every year grows, the population grows by about 1%. Uh, which contributes to economic, uh, um, you know, growth as well. Uh, until recently, we've been virtually stagnant in that re- in that regard. Now, in both Nova Scotia, particularly Nova Scotia, and also in New Brunswick, there has been, uh, you know, an improvement in in uh, population growth, and uh, and that has, you know, and, and PEI as well. By the way, PEI has actually led in terms of population growth. Uh, but uh, PEI has had the best economy as well in Atlantic Canada, partially as a, as a consequence of growing their uh, population, because those people coming into the province need to, need to have places to live, they need to buy food, clothing, you know, they create economic activity. And interesting enough, I've, I've used PEI as a model for the rest of the region. People who say, oh, we don't have enough jobs for immigrants or new people coming in. Those people create jobs. PEI is proof of that. PEI has gone from double-digit uh, unemployment before the pandemic uh, to a point where they, they would soon have the lowest unemployment rate in, in the region with a larger workforce, you know. <clears throat> and uh, in, in New Brunswick, the uh, unemployment rate was going down because more people were leaving the workforce, not because the, the labor force was growing. It was actually, you know, not a good uh, trend. So the continued focus on uh, population growth, which largely happens in urban areas, to start to rebalance the economies in Atlantic Canada to look more like the rest of the region, uh, I think continues to be the priority. <clears throat> and, you know, immigration is probably the only way you can do that legitimately uh, <clears throat> going ahead. So, you know, that, beca- that continues to be a, a big issue. We need that. We have proportionally another structural problem that we have in the region is that proportionately we have more people working for the public sector than the private sector. And in fact, with this pandemic, that, that those number the people working in the private sector has greatly diminished. The numbers working in the public sector have not diminished that much. So the proportion has actually gone even higher 
for people working and uh, actively working in the workforce in the public sector relative to the private sector. So in Atlantic Canada, one out of four people, uh, based on the most recent statistics, uh, work in the public sector. In Canada, that number is one in five. So we have 25% proportionally more people working for the public sector. Now, how does that help the economy grow? It doesn't. It's, it's, a, it's a lag factor for economic growth. Because if you believe, like I believe, that the private sector is responsible for economic prosperity in terms of growing jobs through new uh, services and goods produced, and it's the public sector's job to ensure services are provided to everybody as equally as possible. You know, we have, we're playing a man short in terms of economic development in this region. And that, that just got worse. You know, so economic prosperity is dependent on a very vibrant private sector. Our private sector is proportionally smaller than elsewhere in the country. So those structural issues remain and are actually, in some cases, a little worse. So uh, I think that those are things that we need to continue to focus on. You know, with an aging population in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia in particular, like we need to have more people come and live in our provinces. And those, by the way, those people come, where do they live? They live in urban communities because that's where the best economic opportunities are. So, you know, that's what's happened in the rest of the country for the last 60 years. We had not had that, uh, our, our share of that immigration stream and population growth in urban areas. That's one of the reasons why proportionally we have more people living in rural uh, parts of our provinces than elsewhere in the country. So those, those, those issues, uh, those problems remain. Uh, when, when you sort of look to the future, what are the, um, the optimistic signs that we can, we can work our way through this and get back on a, on a growth trajectory? Uh, well, you know, I sit on a, a, an advisory board for um, uh, a, a small company um, uh, that's just been around a short time. It's called uh, New Scotland Clothing and New Scotland Brewing Company. And, um, you know, uh, it's very interesting to see how that uh, their business is, uh, is adapting to the new reality in, in both the clothing side and the brewery side. Uh, they're, they're finding, um, you know, new uh, streams of revenue because people can't come into their uh, locations. So on the brewery side, for an example, uh, they're doing a, a pretty good business, frankly, on home delivery. That, that that's really made a big difference to them and it's allowed them to kind of uh, to be, uh, you know, uh, able to survive this pandemic. So uh, on the clothing side, they're relying uh, a lot more on online sales. Those haven't been quite as strong as being you know, able to come into the store and buy stuff. But still, it's you know, you can see that there's new channels being created for businesses that I think will remain afterwards. I'd like, you know, we had the, this discussion yesterday that it's very likely <clears throat> that home delivery for craft beer uh, and, and wine, frankly, uh, are likely to continue and provide new uh, sources of revenue for those kinds of businesses. So, you know, businesses are very good at adapting uh, in order to survive and prosper. I, I have a lot of confidence in the business sector to find new solutions to uh, getting their business growing again and uh and finding new ways uh, to serve uh their their market and their clients so uh you know that, that's the nature of uh of the business world it's an evolution always you know in in the 40 years that i ran uh corporate research associates you know <laughs> i remember the first days of that business there were no computers you know everything was done by hand including you know using typewriters to type the reports you know um there was no internet. Uh, there was nothing, you know, and we, we saw the transformation of the business and, and, and over a 40 year period uh, was remarkable. It was night and day. And, you know, businesses have to be able to adapt. Most successful businesses will adapt. As I said, you know, it will it will it will call out uh, of, of the marketplace businesses that probably didn't have a, a future to begin with. And it will create new opportunities for other businesses. But, you know, I, I want to say this because I think this is really an important uh, point that anybody in business uh, needs to consider. This is an opportunity for most businesses to be prepared for reopening the, uh, the economy and doing better after the economy is reopened. Be smarter than your competitors. 
you know, find new ways to deliver your services, you know, uh, service your clients at a higher level than you did before. And the, and the people who are preparing to reopen right now are going to be a lot more successful and the people who are just only focused on survival. And, you know, that's what I did in my business over a 40, you know, 40 year period. I mean, we, we went through a lot of, uh, a lot of negative economic period, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the Great Recession of twenty uh, of uh, uh, two thousand and nine, you know, our philosophy was we got to get ready for when this turns around, and we protected our core resources and we were ready. <clears throat> Business came out of that stronger than it was before, and and you know that that experience is something that I had uh, a number of times in operating that business over a long period of uh, of years. So. Uh, you know, businesses really need to be aggressive in planning for their future and seeing how they can take advantage of other companies, frankly, not being prepared. And uh, and that's the nature of a competitive marketplace, frankly. And I know a lot of businesses are uh, there are some businesses that are actually uh, already pivoted to do that. If you look at uh, companies like Stanfields in uh, in uh, Truro. They're producing, you know, uh, PBBE uh, uh, materials for the government, you know, and uh, and they've actually hired more people uh, than they had before. So, you know, businesses have to be nimble, look at the opportunities, take advantage of those opportunities and, uh, you know, really be prepared for when the uh, when the uh, um, market begins to open again. Great. Well, thanks very much, Don. It's uh, it's been a, a pleasure talking to you. Well, I've enjoyed it too. And uh, you know, uh, one of the things I've been trying to do uh, since I sold my business is to uh, you know uh, promote dialogue on key issues. And uh, if uh, if you follow the columns that I write for uh, Brunswick News and Saltwater Network, they're about putting uh, you know uh, some data in place so so people can make more informed decisions about the kind of choices that we need to make in society and in in in, in the public side. Uh, to you know, take it you know, take advantage of the great you know place that, that we live, and uh, so um, I really uh, I appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion. I hope that it might stimulate some thinking, uh, and you know, lead to better decisions uh, as as we move uh, forward uh, through this uh, this pandemic. And um, so I really appreciate that opportunity. Thanks very much. You've been listening to episode four of Huddle's new podcast, Home Office. And thank you for tuning in. And thank you, Don Mills, for the great chat. You can find uh, Home Office on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. So please go uh, visit one of those platforms and uh, subscribe. Uh, Huddle Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legier, Shree Sletson, and Tyler McLean. And we will talk to you next week.